Hello, everybody, and welcome to another E5 podcast. And today, who have I got joining me? Hello, it's me, David Watts, a.k.a. Sparky Ninja. And And we've got... Adrian Davey from Brighton. Adrian Davey, you're back. It's part two. So we're going to get deeper. We are going to go deeper into this podcasting malarkey. And we're going to talk about a number of issues. More importantly, you have uh, a number of issues you want to talk about or questions you want to ask. So... um, Shall we delve straight in? Okay, well, one of the questions that I'd really like to ask is about the direction of ePrive, because I kind of get the feeling that a lot of people would like to know exactly where it's all heading and what's the bigger picture. (coughs) Yeah, all right, Dave, over to you on that one, mate. (laughs) I'm I'm just sat here with a beer. Hang on. Paul, um... Dave sat here. Go on. What what do you think? Where do you think E5 is going, Dave? I have have an (laughs) idea of where it's going. Um, but I don't know whether it's going to go where everybody wants it to go because um, a lot of people have got in touch with us. Dave, you can agree with this. Is A lot of people have wanted us to become a, a competent person scheme, which why would I want another CPS kicking around doing the same thing that CPSs do? Um, I work full-time. Dave works full-time. We all work full-time. This is a, a volunteering uh, collective at the end of the day. So E5 for us, uh, for me, I've always kind of looked at us becoming that formal, social, moral, ethical consciousness of the industry that it, it doesn't have at the moment. But but more importantly, a a free uh, enterprise, a non-profit enterprise where the people who want to help E5 will do so in a way which helps support and educate as per our values. Um, learners, people in the industry, people who want help and support on an individual level. Um, I would like us to become good partners with manufacturers so that we can help give advice and guidance to manufacturers to help them improve the industry. Um, I would eventually like us to maybe sit on committees to help improve the industry. And in all fairness, um, Dave Ryan is on the Electrical Safety Roundtable for Social Housing. Mm -hmm. I'm the, not many people know this, but I'm the chairman of the other electrical safety roundtable which is for workplace safety which is a huge remit ryan's very lucky in respects of he's got social housing Um, for me workplace safety is a huge one so i'm chair of that and we have a number of attendees there and that's growing we're looking at doing various campaigns so for me e5 is about a load of volunteers getting together and contributing in an informed in an educated and a very influential way where people can not feel so down about the industry you and, yeah. I, and I know the industry is in a bad way I think I think the funny thing is I kind of agree with nearly all of that but I'm not a committee person I'm not even professionally registered I started yet. doing I yeah okay I started doing um sparking ninja stuff the whole again the whole background of the term sparking ninja the idea is not me as sparking ninja the idea was through the part p select committee and us observing the lack of effort or interest or passion from all of the cps organizations and just understanding how they really got to work nobody was standing in those committees who was actually standing there for the electricians and so i don't see myself as a committee kind of person i may end up working more involved with that for the greater good kind of thing but i see myself more as an electrician these days that just can't compete 
with electricians in the industry because the industry has become so declined with de-skilling, with poor client awareness, saturation saturation of the market, especially the domestic sector. Um, so I started kind of want to do some more work and try to offer what I could. And all I could offer was my technical knowledge because I started to get into training. I got into training before I decided to do any of this, but I realized that the training industry in particular, I think this is what I've become one of the main focal points of E5 is there are there are huge areas of the industry that are poor. The training industry in particular is very poor. And I think um, as we've seen more, I mean, again, one of the things, being, being open and honest, volunteering, we have a lot of people that then have confidence in coming to us. A lot of people on a training journey don't want to talk to their training provider, especially if they're still on that journey because they feel it might put that journey at risk or it might affect the outcome because fundamentally they want to learn, but they also, they're also focusing on the, a, a success, which we, we determine through assessments. Um, but I get a lot of people in my communities who will give me confidence in what their experience and they'll give me um, examples. I, I think I forwarded to you yesterday, a guy that's posted to me on Facebook. He's asked his, um, cause I did a, I did a post on Instagram about a church with surfaced plastic twin and earth. Saw that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, a guy comes to me on Facebook. It says our tutor, we're on level three. He's on level three and his tutor refuses to talk to me about MI. He's actually, you know, he's, there's a picture of MI. He refuses to talk about it, to let them handle it, to let them actually know about it. And all they've really said is our oh, FP is better, but all they've covered is PVC, PVC twin and earth. Uh, PVC store armor and singles not touching it uh, and these guys come back to me because they know that I'm trying to raise the game with training um, and I think that's if anything the you know, the way E5, E5 the CPS question um, but you, you've looked in I mean Adrian you've looked into how the whole system works it doesn't really matter if we had another CPS or another CPS the UCAS model doesn't work no. Yeah, as far as far as I'm concerned, I think as far as you're concerned, from what we've discussed before, um, so it needs something completely different. Now, I've always embraced a license to practice model, um, something that's purely focused on driving for CPD, something that funds CPD. Uh, we don't have that. We still don't have that. Um, so, if E5 did anything, it would be in that direction, from my perspective. But it would be something completely new, a completely different identity. It would be something that the electricians would actually contribute to deciding the direction. Mm. Not, you know, they would have to just, they'd have to contribute. It wouldn't be us close knit circle. We have to keep the circle closer because we have had a lot mm. of kicks, a lot of kicks. Uh, really? But we, yeah, yes, we have. <laughs> yeah, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Yeah. But um, no, um, the direction, you know, the final direction is it's open to interpretation. We're still learning what E5 is, to be fair. Well, yeah, if I, I can be honest with you, sorry, um, cool. if I can be honest with you, from an installer's point of view, somebody on the, the shop floor, um, you guys have managed to give us all a voice. You've united us um, together. Uh, and it would be great to be able to then use that to push everyone, in, well, not everyone, but push the industry in the, in the right direction uh, as a unit and keep, keep people focused on what actually matters. And that is the quality of the work uh, and the installation and looking after the end user. 
I think if if I think Dave kind of nailed it in his last sentence there. We're still E five as an entity is still evolving, and and I think it's fair to say, and I'll, I'll I'll speak from my experience. There are a lot of people in the industry who actively actively despise us. Uh, you've only got to go on YouTube and look at some of the comments on some of the videos, especially the early stuff that we did while we were emerging, if that's the right term to use. Um, they actively despise us other than they don't actually want to take the time to understand why, what our MO is, why, what motivates us to do what we do. And I always swore blind when I was younger, as I've said previously, that if I was going to do something to help the industry, it couldn't be what the industry currently is, which is way too much bitching, way too much fighting, um, it's fairly evident from our research, Dave, and let's be honest, this industry is inherently very, very immoral, unethical and corrupt in yes. many, many parts. Um, the behaviours of individuals do not reflect the corporate entities in a lot of ways. I know a lot of people who work for industry bodies that do some uh, bad things. Um, but that doesn't mean the individuals working from are. I think um... it's that's a very important thing to note. We have had a lot of people come to us for with support, but they cannot publicly support us because of who they work for. That's very true. And, Loads, of and people. we can't say who they are, obviously, because of that. No, and that's kind of sad as well, to be honest. Because I've been, I've been fortunate enough in my role, because um, obviously I'm not uh, on the tools much anymore. Um, but in my role, I you do become very, and I hate using this term because it's not a term that Sparks use. But you become very strategic, very tactical. So you have to, um, when you're talking to people, you don't sit and go, "Oh, I goes, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah." You're not like that. You've got to be very, very. Uh, Queen's English, very polite, very um, restrained in what you say and how you say it. And it, it almost becomes a tennis game of vocabulary sentences, uh, which is very weird. But but growing in the last eight to ten years where I've been a client, it's how you have to play that strategic game. But that, in the same breath, I have every sentence I've ever had, and Dave knows this better than most, every sentence I've ever said, I've got that hairy-ass spark still in the back of my brain, sat underneath somebody's cupboard, I'm I'm bending a bit of conduit in a freezing railway depot and no one to help me. I've still got that tattooed traumas in my brain going, whatever I do must make that not happen again. And that for me was one of the drivers for E5 to use a very simple set of principles within a document that's publicly available and to effectively enhance it, create a brand that isn't monetized, that just is for the right thing and the right reasons. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you, last night I was on the phone to somebody who said to me, I've watched you for nearly a year and I finally sussed out that you guys are the real deal. Um, how do you afford it? And I just said to him, I don't. I'm constantly overdrawn and I'm nearly broke, but I do it for the love of doing it. I Don't get me wrong, I have a job and I earn enough money, but I don't want money near that brand because money for me... And that loads of people will say, shut up, Paul. It just inherently corrupts brands and organizations. And I don't want that near E5. Absolutely. And I, I can see that that, that worries people. Um, because the moment that you say that you're not doing it for money, well, people want to know, well, why are you doing it? What, what is, there's got to be a motive. There's got to be some reason for that. Yeah. Um, I was very suspicious in the beginning. You know, it's taken me three years to kind of get to the point now where I'm, I'm believing what I'm seeing. Um, you guys came down to Steve Willis. You know, you brought that AFDDs with you, um, spoke to the learners. They thought you were amazing. They thought, you know, they said to me, these guys are coming with lots of energy. Uh, they know their stuff. You know, they're really passionate about what they do. And I, I, they, they really felt privileged by the fact that you'd been there. They all knew who you were before you'd even turned up. It's 
it's kind of weird you say that because for me um when i first started watching dave i used to think oh my god the man's a walking encyclopedia of knowledge oh my god and and the other day when we were at alex dave and we did that presentation together i i looked across the room and there's a term for wrestling fans when they just mark out and i totally marked out in my brain i was going oh my god oh my god uh, it's it's great uh, i've always said with e5 when people ask why we do it i say one society's not in a good place two it's nice to be nice three kindness should never cost anything because the intent um is wrong if it costs something um and there's enough money in our industry to be able to us to achieve what we need to achieve without money getting in the way and that's the one thing that we are slowly working out dave is how can we get stuff done using money but not asking the electricians to pay out for it they pay out for enough and and that's kind of where we're slowly finding where our feet will be in the industry, where the traction will be. We don't, I've said it before, we don't want to be NIC, we don't want to be ECA, we don't want to be NAPIT, we don't want to be SparkSafe. Um, we will find our own place. And at the moment, I think Dave will agree with me, it is literally supporting and educating individuals who care enough to want to step up. Well, look at this whole thing that you did with the AFDDs, this whole um, you know video that you guys have put together. I mean, you went over to, uh, who was Vienna. it? Vienna. Vienna. Yeah, and what, what, what brand was it? Uh, Eaton. Eaton. So you went over to Eaton. I mean, you guys have you know put all that time and effort into it to look into something that the industry has actually put into the regulations. With, I mean, I don't know whether this is correct or not, but it looks like they've spent no time looking into it uh, before they even decided to put it into the, uh, the BS seven six seven one. They don't really know anything about it too much, you know. Um, and when people are asking questions, they don't know what to tell us. So you guys have actually gone out of your way, spent time, done the investigation, reported back to the electricians, uh, back to us, and told us exactly what it's all about. Before that, there was nothing. Yeah, I mean, Dave, when did the DPC come out again? It was like an August 2017, was it, or? before yeah. then i can't remember i think it was it august was, 2017 because it was a good while ago because yeah, i remember yeah. when it came out there was no pdf available of it which was annoying because immediately you know you couldn't print it out or do anything and then eventually it came out the day that came out i was reading that book as was dave mm. and i'm not joking that that draft for public comment was like 800 plus pages wasn't it it was it was ridiculous and um when we saw i mean we, the the mention of the device was in the previous version but when 6606 was actually then announced it was just down to us to do our own research and i think i put my first video out on the subject in the september or october of, of the of that year with the draft before the 18th edition came yeah. out uh but you know again um as adrian says there's no education for electricians nope uh and still there there isn't from them i mean this is the biggest this is probably the biggest thing we've learned from our afdd journey is that the manufacturers were not in any way equipped or um capable of properly educating electrician on how the theory works so that the clients could then be properly informed a lot of it was all driven to these stop fires to insurance and other perspectives than mm. the electricians who need to understand the protective devices and how they should then be introduced into systems gradually over time. But surely before something gets put into the regulations, it needs to be tried and tested. Uh, not necessarily. No, well, mm. you'd think so. Um, when when the DPC came out, I when I started to scribble notes in my old-fashioned way, I, I decided to... Uh, copy what Dave does to an extent because Dave produces fantastic content so I thought if you're going to learn something from the DPC put it in a PowerPoint 
and use it somehow. So I developed, um, I think at the time, other than Dave, we, we developed the first material um, yeah. that basically people could almost bite size off of. And we shared it on Facebook. We shared it. Anybody who wanted it. I think I sent out, once we finished reading the DPC, over a hundred at least 100 copies of a PowerPoint presentation based on the research we did. Didn't ask anybody for anything. Everyone who came back said, would you like money? Would you like this? And we're like, no, 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 no. Just grow, develop it, verify for yourself, validate it for yourself. And I remember very clearly the, the regulation said AFDDs may be used. Mm-hmm. I remember those words very we saw, clearly. We saw at about the same time frame, we saw that poor marketing image from, it was from Eaton, I believe, where they had a banner from either Germany or in Europe where they, it said that they are mandatory. That's it. AFDDs um, are becoming mandatory. Yeah, and, and and that kind of just immediately just hit this this uh, concern within us to actually then just dive straight into. I think you did a video, it. Dave, didn't you? Straight I, away, I, I, you I were may have. You were angry. <laughs> I may have. Well, one of the things I remember is that 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 video from that that um, advertising campaign from Schneider Electric came out. Do you know with the dog barking yeah, at the the kid? You know, and all the fires coming from the from the low level lamp. Um, that wouldn't be enough to, to trip out an AFDD anyway on, on, on all your research. <laughs> yeah. That was and that, pretty poor form. And that came out before, you know, information about it. Yeah. Oh. I think I think one thing that we've learned, and I think it's we've got to be very careful, is, is a lot of cynics around it, including um, a lot of, there's one industry body who have, have said they're only, they're recommended only and are very anti-AFDD because they've made their mind up already, probably because of the early John Ward videos and the fact that we were openly criticising them and saying we don't trust them. Fast forward six to nine months and we've done the work and we've come through that journey, that point of understanding where it's all clicked and the jigsaw's all been put together. Mm. We've realised that these devices do work in the right application for the right reasons, which is just good basic selection direction. But more importantly, um, the industry, one of the things, well, this is this is my big bugbear. When that first came out, the draft public comment, I went to NIC Live and I was at one of the talks. Uh, I was outside the room because they do lots and lots of events. It was a very good show. But I was outside and I spoke to a certain person who sits on JPEL and I said to them, have you done any due diligence on AFDD? And their words were no. And it turned out at that event, I knew more about AFDDs than anybody else in the room and and one person when they asked a question and this is a true question and it was um do afdd cease uh, faults up detect faults upstream and then the presenter said yes they do and i'm standing in front of 600 plus men going no it's not no <laughs> it doesn't that's as that's just dumb that's like saying if i have a fault on my toaster it takes out the national grid do you know what i mean the rcd takes out the grid don't be silly it, it doesn't never works upstream but that was how poor the, the research that people had done. And I'll tell you why. Because presenters in our industry and people in our industry were just reading the Siemens documents that were publicly available from Europe, which had been around a few years. And they had no guidance to, to go on a journey of education or understand that. And, and me and Dave, we've, we've done the same reading. Me and Dave have spent so many Friday nights, so many Saturday nights reading, but then we've got on the phone and we've bounced off each other, our understanding, and then we found more documentation, which we've again shared, or Dave's found documents via um, his contacts, and we've just shared and exchanged this this wealth of AFDD information, and it starts back in um, the American statistics. And the one thing I've learned is these modern, the single module AFDD that we have now 
it, you can't compare it to the AFCI um, that they've got in America. You just can't. Totally different things. Well, this is what I took away from your AFDD podcast, actually, was that if we forget what's happened previously, uh, the fact that, you know, they suddenly slipped in in the last, in the last um, edition, uh, no real research has been done. But if we accept that this is the infancy of this particular technology and that it can only get better from this point on, I think people would have warmed to it a bit better rather than kind of feeling like they've been tricked into accepting something that wasn't quite ready. I, For me, I'm, I feel quite privileged the fact that we now know early on because I remember when RCDs first properly came out in anger and there was so much distrust and all of all the rest of it I'm quite glad that independent people who aren't sponsored by manufacturers are able to say I've seen it work I've seen the data I've played around a bit of a rig I'm reasonably confident I mean oh look Dave's holding one in his hand right now um, <laughs> but we've got access we've got access to these devices um, and I mean you yourself you yourself have got a board at Steve Willis, where you can now validate and verify and prove to your learners that they actually deliver a tangible benefit to the installer, not a bitchy ranty, oh, they don't work, or my, my area engineers told me they don't work, or I've got a memo that says they don't work. When it, no, they can see it for their own eyes. They can go on that understanding journey. But we only have that because of the E5 group. Yeah, um, I think uh, one, one of the yeah, things... I suppose, yeah. One of the things that we've kind of learned. Scary, isn't it? Yeah. One thing's, one, <laughs> but one that's things... what other people are going to be thinking, though. If it wasn't no, it's true. For you, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be at this point we are now. Well, in fairness, when, when we got asked to go to Eaton's factory, I turned around and I just went to my boss and went, right, um, I'm having some time <laughs> off work. By the, so I literally booked my annual leave. And I was like, I'm going to call their bluff now. I'm going to go to Eaton, fix bayonet, and I'm going to prove to them that AFDD don't work. And my God... Um, I got absolutely turned upside down in my head, and so did Mr. Skirm as well. Um, luckily, Dave didn't actually go because we never would have fitted in the actual plane seats. They were that small. We never would have. <laughs> they were tiny. They were literally like, yeah, way too small. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a, a massive journey of understanding for us. And like with, like with when you're putting a jigsaw together, eventually you get to see the bigger picture. That for us was a bigger picture moment because we'd done so much research, we had so many valid questions, and we realised that different manufacturers have approached it. As I said previously, the Eaton device was only patented in 2009, so it's really different in its application of electronics and monitoring than the Wilex one. So do you think this is going to be one of the directions of E5, is actually sort of debunking what we've been told and being put in front of us I think the cynical electricians in us always debunk i mean that trust but verify isn't it um i've learned long enough now i mean i don't know about you dave but i've learned from the lighting industry that lighting industry will sell their own mother to sell <laughs> you some light fittings um and i have no doubt the rest of the electrical industry is the same so if you show me a product fine show me the benefit show me the enhancement of safety show me the value and show me how it's going to enhance the confidence of electricians, and I will absolutely love it. If it isn't, I will help you fix it and give you honest feedback, as Dave will and John Ward would love to. Um, but, yeah, no, we that's what we do. I think that comes with experience, though, doesn't it? Because yes. when I first qualified, I trusted that the people in charge of the industry had the industry's interests at heart, they were the people that would light the way and show us the direction, and they had it all covered. But all the there's no one in charge of the industry. <clears throat> no. 
Well, that was that was us a, a few years ago. I mean, Paul and I have said about doing another podcast in the future, talking about our old uh, let's just call it NICIC fanboyism. Oh yeah, you oh, know, that was huge. You know, I've got I've got all the DVDs. I had all yeah. the books. I've still got the books, and a lot of electricians have been put into that. They've been put onto that pe- that place where you're there now we'll talk you listen and if you ask anything that is in any way going to nurture further development we'll say you don't need to know that yeah, and that's pretty true. much that's where it's happens. been for 10 years and what we found with this journey especially with um afdds is we were, what probably was more shocking for us is that the fact that different manufacturers had approached it differently and they'd actually mm. had different opinions different approaches they were going to produce different things for the market um, and the the I'll, call, I'll just go with CPS. Everyone's involved with this. There wasn't any strong support from any of them individually um, on the AFDD subject itself. There was a lot of reliance on manufacturers, but a lot of the manufacturers still today are strongly just talking about SPDs yeah. at these talks. AFDDs. I think I think I think they've kind of given up on AFDDs for this current price point, and they're not really talking about them right now. They're talking about SPDs still. It, uh, like, like knowledge in our industry filters slowly slowly it always does the difference is is between when we were younger 20 years ago still on the tools and now is guys can sit in their vans and have direct contact with thousands of electricians on social media tons of youtube content i mean even i watch videos where um dave savory will be installing something and i'll go one i've never installed that two that's really freaking handy to know and three I'm going to do that when I do my outside lights or do my garden lights. So I now know where to go and get updates of my install knowledge because mm. I'm not on the tools anymore yeah. from various YouTube people who I trust and respect and not the I mean, ones who are idiots. Plus with all these different platforms, you know, you can actually, a lot of guys can actually go to different communities until they find the one that is suitable for them Yeah, as well. Um, it's like, I mean, we've got the Instagram for, E5 Instagram, which is just for code breaking, basically. Yeah, it is. I've got I've got my Discord, which I don't push around too much because I've got a really nice small community in there. Yeah. There's code breaking in there. There's machinery. There's so much great discussions in there. Mr. Skirm is a very regular place. If you land in a place where there's a poor Skirm hanging around all day, and Mr. John Ward, you yeah. know, you, we, where else do you want to? Where else would you want to go to than be in presence of people like that? You see, uh, and and so we don't have to always get on the NIC tech line or the neighbor tech line or, you know, think about what we can remember or just get just just wing it. We can actually seek a, you know technical knowledge and information from a huge variety of people now. Well, I'm new to all this podcast stuff um, and actually listening to podcasts. And one of the things I like about it is I can Bluetooth it to my car stereo now. Yeah. And listen to it on the way into work, which is actually quite, you know, I, I find myself talking along to it. Uh, and, I, and from the judging by the, uh, the Twitter, uh, a lot of people do the same thing. So, yeah. I mean, the fact that you guys are doing this podcast is also a way that you can keep us up to date with what's going on in the industry. So hang on a second. So just just to be clear on the podcast, thing. So I'm new to the podcast and all this technology <laughs> as well. Dave is the originator of the podcast. Dave has oh, yeah. a Sparky Ninja podcast. I have but been I, doing I, it long before anybody else was doing podcasts. Yeah. And one of the things that we discussed ages ago of all the various platforms, because I'm not heavily competent on forms of social media like Instagram. I'm learning it um, because I've just worked such long hours. So it's very difficult. But um, Dave started it and we spoke ages and ages ago about would we do podcasts? Would we do YouTube videos? Mm-hmm. How would it work? 
and i think organically after we went on the egte stuff uh, we realized actually i think you said it dave why don't we just record what we talk about that's pretty we, much would be a podcast and then that we, was it pretty much we have so many discussions as uh, as a group oh, yeah. within e5 w- yeah. which so many people would learn from mm. and you know would be able to contribute to as well yeah. uh and i think the podcast is probably one of the most rawest resources that we have because like like adrian now anyone can have a voice and anyone can jump on and actually host the podcast yeah because it's free this is free to do the only thing yeah. you're giving up is your time and my view is is um with the time i've been spending at work recently it's valuable for me because if i get to share my knowledge with my peers and sparks in their vans hello to anyone in their vans um it, it's great but as dave said we we have these conversations all the time like me and john ward you know, when we did our first podcast together, that was me and John just talking, but recording what we talk about. So mm. it was it was very organic and very natural. Um, when Dempsey's on the podcast, I just spend most of it taking the piss out of him, <laughs> in all fairness, because that's what I generally do. But we've all got our own dynamics. And we always swore <clears> that anybody who came on the podcast uh, would never be a guest. They'd be a co-host because this isn't if it's going to be an e5 podcast it's owned by everybody you know because at some point dave is going to do a multi-podcast series on the state of the training industry and i'm sure at some point it's going to be a four or five parter where he literally explains everything and just rants and puts the world to rights and that may have me hosting one of them john ward hosting it um paul skirm talking to him about it dan talking about it and 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 the dynamics it literally is who's free who's got a subject matter to talk about. Mm. Um, and, and, kind of and, and to be honest, comparing to other things that we do, I mean, like when we went down to Steve Willis or Alex, I mean, we, we spend money on hotels, on fuel. We're also giving our time up here. We're giving our time up. Everything else is free. Yeah. Hosting mm. and sending. Um, it's like I did the 18th edition course on YouTube and the design courses and stuff all free up. It goes, but then people said, can you put it onto a podcast? Just rip it up. I went, really? You want to listen to that? on your way to work but people do and i had a guy today ask me if i'd done it so oh, you've not noticed i do have a podcast there it is and he's just thanked me this afternoon people want to as you say adrian people people want to hear sparky talk sparky so on, in fairness on their time. I'm, I'm gonna sound really weird here but i for the last 12 weeks that we've been doing this every chance i get now rather than listening to music on the way to work I am listening to a podcast, whether it's I've got Dave in my ear or EGT in my ear or somebody else talking or even verifying our ones. Because when we record these, we have access to them before the general public do. So Dave will listen to them um, or or I will listen to them just to sense check that I because I have edited a few poorly and left huge gaps out. So we, we upload them and then just leave them sitting for weekly release, um, which this week we'll get. A whole nother batch done for the Christmas and New Year period. So, mm. yeah. Well, if I can pull you back to the training as well yes. quickly. Because um, I'm quite glad that you're here, actually, David. Um, I'm starting to notice a lot of holes in the training industry. And I have to be very careful what I say, obviously, with, with my new job and stuff like that. But um, I, I have a confession to make, and I only found this out thanks to Paul, that it turns out that I'm not actually qualified. Um, 15 years ago, I went to uh, Brighton MET. Um, I, I turned up every single day, um, didn't miss anything. Uh, I was kind of felt like I was top of the class. Uh, and then 
you know, finished my time, got all these certificates in the post, didn't know what any of them meant, just assumed that that, that was the right stuff that I'd been sent. Um, finished, shook everyone's hand as I left, never heard another peep out of them, got registered with the NIC, because um, that was literally a year later that uh, Part P came out, got registered with the NIC. They didn't say anything about the certificates that I had. Um, 15 years later, with a chance conversation with Paul, after I'd got my job at Steve Willis, he was telling me that um, a lot of people in the industry have got these certificates, but not actually all the modules are complete. And it reminded me of a time when I did the 17th edition update, uh, which was at Steve Willis. Um, they said, oh, you haven't got all the modules. So I showed them all my certificates. The guy went away, came back again. He said, no, it's okay. You've got, you've got everything you need apart from there's, there's, you haven't got the final certificate, um, but you can do the 17th edition update. So I did that. Uh, and then it got me thinking about what Paul said. Um, so I went back, checked them again. It turns out that I've got um, electrical science and principles module missing. So without that, I'm not actually qualified. Is, is, this, is this why you're a kitchen fitter? This is why I'm a kitchen fitter. <laughs> this is why you're a kitchen fitter. I remember yeah. the last, anyone remembers the last <laughs> podcast, Adrian's Confession. Um, it, I didn't realise that we were going to allow kitchen fitters onto these podcasts. So mm. please apologise. Please allow me to abuse you a little bit longer. You're a kitchen fitter. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that podcast. And I, and I have to say, without you saying who your training provider was for that, Whoever it was who provided with that kitchen fitter training didn't effectively do their RPL or look at your background. No. You know, What's um, RPL, Dave? Sorry, rec rec recognized prior learning. Ooh. Anyone who goes onto a training journey, the training provider must assess the learner's suitability for the training journey. This means the level they're going to sit on and the, the level of assessment at the end of the journey. But to go on to that journey, they have to either be suitable for that level or not be beyond that level. You're not supposed to bring someone back down to a level they're already on, and you're not supposed to put somebody up to a level they haven't reached yet. There was, um, there was a guy who contacted me from Facebook not long ago. He had an issue or a complaint with a company doing their, their five-week thing, and as a way to um, reimburse, they threw him for a free 2396. And this guy's doing level two stuff. He's done a free 2396, so he's now being leveled up to level four, and now he's having problems with his level three project because he's over-engineering his design. Ah, he came up to me at LX and spoke to me. Jeez. You know, uh, for most training <clears throat> companies, these qualifications, these learners, it's just product off a shelf, product off a shelf. So bums on seats. If if you don't if you don't mind me chipping in, so yep. just just for those listening who are wondering what the hell we're talking about. Um, so. In your city and guild certificates, which um, I no, go back to the start of the story. So um, when I uh, I brought SparkSafe over for my railway and I got to meet Mr. Derek Thompson, who's an absolute diamond of a chap. Um, and because my family from Northern Ireland went over to Northern Ireland again, I paid for it, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. Um, and I stayed with my dad. And while I was at the SparkSafe Centre, I did my 18th edition, of course. And we went through how SparkSafe works in incredible detail. And one of the things that we spoke about was how they identify fake city and guilds, because um, as it stood, the JIB didn't identify fake city and guilds. In fact, you can actually go on the dark web, which um, we know exists because I've done anti-terrorist training um, and apparently it's where you can buy bomb making manuals and stuff. 
But on the dark web, you can go onto a site and print out fake seeing guilds. Mm-hmm. Now, the guys at Sparksaid had a, a two-layer two system for checking uh, whether qualifications were valid. And it was a very small comment because I gave them my certificates just to add to their pool of uh, templates. Not that they needed them, just to see if there's anything dodgy about me or my training in Tottenham. And, and it was a flippant comment where he said the amount of blokes who are not fully qualified because they're missing modules. And I went, pardon? And then I got then told that there are lots and lots of guys who, when they go through the SparkSafe checks, they will turn around to them and say they're missing a module. And because they're missing the module, they don't get the full award certificate. So those who have got a part one or a part two certificate, you get two modules and one certificate, two modules and another certificate, and then you get a third certificate. And that's normally the City and Guild Award or the NVQ Award. It's a separate sheet. But a lot of a lot of Sparks since I've since then um, which have gone through the process, have been missing modules, including some of the guys who work on my railway. So there are qualified gold card-holding sparks of over 15 years who can't get qualified electrician license to practice because they're not actually fully qualified, mm. as per the standards. But and nobody th- checked it. Well, this turns out that it's, it seems like it's, a, it's quite a known problem because I called City and Guilds, complained <clears> about it, um they said that they're all f- fully aware that this happens um Jesus. and then <laughs> and then there was a um brian scadden thing that came up on um twitter for um oh, i'm trying to remember what it's called now uh like the old school rights type thing I'm trying to remember the exact name for it um grandfather rights type thing yeah. that came up yeah so i i called them and and told him my story and again, they said this this is a known thing. There's quite a few people out there that have exactly the same problem. Yeah, it's a mature candidate assessment. Yeah, that's it. So it's actually, it, it, it's well known within the industry, but it doesn't sound like anybody's actually addressing the problem or doing anything about it. But surely, Dave, this is the, this is the next, I know I'm probably being dramatic, this is like the next PPI scandal, but within our industry. This is people who in good faith have gone to colleges to get fully qualified to a framework written by a combination of Unite the Union and the JIB and have left thinking they're fully qualified and are not fully qualified. And this is where this license to practice, when it gets implemented, I'm the first in the UK to do it in a team of electricians. And this is one of the challenges that we had was we had guys who became restricted because obviously there's apprentice electrician, restricted electrical worker and qualified electrician. They've obviously got down a qualified and assessed, but um, the qualified electrician guys weren't getting it. They were getting restricted electrical worker because they weren't fully qualified. They didn't have the full qualifications and guys were coming to me and going, what can I do? And I was like, well, go and get fully qualified in line with industry requirements. The, The problem is they won't go back because they're always going forwards and the problem with using the term fully qualified is that suggests a date um about i don't know seven or so years ago maybe longer environmental legislation came in as an additional unit to those training outcomes and when that came in it meant everybody who had trained prior to that didn't have environmental legislation as a unit suddenly there were two separate branches and then as we have new technologies coming out we have more branches coming in uh, and so, you know, it's imp- the, the term fully qualified, well, it's not something that you could really kind of restore anymore. Um, because, because again, I mean, look at all these different, we talk about CPD, we talk about all the different 
training journeys. If you call and again, when I see people at work and they go, oh, he's fully qualified. <clears> you know, remember, competence is obviously with regards to relative to the nature of the work under <coughs> Regulation 16. So qualified doesn't mean competence. Mm. So relying on the term fully qualified as an established level of success or completion has to be, yeah, be very careful with that. Yeah. Um, there was, there was, uh, I had the exact same issue with my training, my training college, who um, I shouldn't name, Brighton or Wykeham College, I will, I don't care. The assessor was a lazy bastard. He was actually a fire marshal, wasn't of electrical bias. Oh. Um, and when it came to the completion, there was a cock up. I, got, I did the MVQ level three portfolio and I did an AM2 assessment, but there was issue with the paper. It took me years to sort that out. Um, and there was a, I think, I'm sure there's a module missing with mine, to be honest. Well, I, for me I, to, I haven't looked because I haven't had to look at my qualifications for donkeys. Well, well for me to sort this out, I've my the, the two three six zero parts one and two that I did don't exist anymore. No. So I've now got to do the two three five seven. I think it is. Um, so I've got the environmental exam to do. Mm -hmm. um, I've got the two three nine six testing to do, which mm -hmm. would help me get my qualification. And then I've got to do a portfolio. And then the AM2. Yeah. I know that if I was to kind of try and get a gold card and badge it all up now, I'd probably have to go down that avenue with the portfolio. I'd have to get that redone, I think. Well, I'm actually going to do it because it means a lot to me to be qualified. It does, yeah. It does. I, I, for me, it's uh, I, I, I spend most of my life trying to assess competence out of workers and competence out of people. And it's a, it's it's a, it's it's basically it's basically a line that keeps there's, moving. There's a, I think I think there's a generational problem of electrical qualifications as well. When I qualified in the in the mid to late nineties, there was a there was a massive problem because there was only two places in the entire UK yes. that did AM two assessments. That's the problem I had because I was, was I was in Bracknell and the yeah. place was in Southampton. Yeah, no. I, I when I when it was, I think it was an eighteen month waiting list. Mm -hmm. So I went to my employer. It was a GIB registered apprenticeship, and I went to my employer and basically said to them, "Look, I've got eighteen months to wait." So I was due to come out of my time, and my employer went, "Oh, well, don't worry about it. Um, we'll, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll ring them back in a couple of months and see if it's got any shorter, because we weren't going to book eighteen months because that was just stupid. You know, I was yeah. being planned to do other stuff." And um, I ended up starting, I, I was running jobs. And before you knew it, um, you know, after mm. about a year and a half, I was off the tools. I was I was site engineering. I didn't need to do the assessment. I weren't, you know, going back on the tools any time. And I was supervising men and I was, it just sort of drifted. And then obviously you go back on the tools and it's not needed on certain jobs. And it was it was never a thing. And then eventually very quickly, I went into this role at EDF where I was the NICQS, but that was when I was a fanboy. And yeah. all of a sudden my employer said, Oh, you need, you need the JRB card. And I was like, oh, okay. And I applied for it and I got a laborer's card. So I ended up going, well, what the hell is this? And in the end, the managing director for EDF wrote to the JRB. And next thing you know, I got my gold card straight away. Mm. So I've, I've never, I've never had to apply for one because I work for a family firm. And by the time I did my level three or the third year, I was running jobs um, I went straight from finishing in the July to the September. Did my, my two three nine one uh, with a great trainer. So did my two three nine one straight away after level three. Sailed through that, and my, my old man was like, "You don't, you know, you don't need to send you away for this or wait for this." I did, I did one assessment. They cocked it up. They said they had to redo it, and there was a wait period. And he said, "Don't bother. Uh, wasn't needed." And I just carried on with my. I carried on progressing from there. Uh, but there was a huge, there was a huge balls up with 
timelines, waiting waiting periods. There was only two or three centers that ran it. Um, that was about uh, two thousand, year two thousand, I think, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Mm, yeah, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't accessible. It wasn't accessible as a as a as a completer, and and that's the trouble. There's never been the accessibility to the training that the uh, based on the demand and yeah. the guys coming in and out. I mean, getting an apprenticeship with JTL was a a non-starter. I went via agencies. I'd never heard of an agency. I went via. A, well, I started off with a family company in Camden, and I had to go agency, but. Getting into the industry, there's never been a, a solution to it. There's never been a one funnel direct this way. There's never been a proper real, well, there was a framework, and then it kind of all got changed. And for some weird reason, I, I, Dave, you'll tell me if I'm wrong here, the 2391 got split into almost three courses. It got split into um, 2394 and 2395 Why? a number of years ago. Um, because apparently the industry wanted emphasis on the differences between initial verification, period inspection, and testing. Because the original two three nine one didn't have any distinction between the two. Jesus Christ. Um, the, the, the argument was, I mean, you had the two three nine two, which was aimed for obviously the um, the domestic scope, and level three electrical le- level three electricians on the two three six five did inspection and testing in their third year, so they would only need to do the two three nine the the periodic. Does that yeah. make sense? So yeah, they've done yeah. initial verification within the 2365. So they don't need, I said earlier on, you should not be retrained on the level that you've already done. You should not retrain on a subject you've already covered. So they shouldn't say you must do inspection and testing and cover initial verification if you've already done that within the level three of your 2365. So that's why they split it. And that's why they then became the 2395 after your level three, two, three, six, five. And if you've not done a two, three, six, five, and you wanted commercial initial verification, they had the two, three, nine, four. They still have that now, but they've brought the two, three, nine, one numbers back with the five, oh, five, one. The trouble is, Dave, uh, as an employer, um, when you go through your generation <laughs> of training, you're used to, have you got your um, A, B, and C course, your part one, two, or three, depending on what your age, or, or your uh, yeah. 2330 <clears throat> electrotechnical MBQ3. It's yeah. it's a nightmare. It really is for site managers and people to try and understand where these competencies are. Mm. I've got a slide. I've got When I do competence assessments and I deliver electrical champions training, one of the things I have to really cover, we, t- we talked about this briefly the other day, was procurement, was things like the safe contractor scheme, things like all these badges and all these other accreditations. And then I have a slide which has all of the 2382, so the 2382 10, 12, 20, 15, yeah, and the 18. And it has 2393, the 2394, the 2395, the 2396, the 2387, the 2382, the 2737722222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222222
and allowed managers, employee managers, to kind of make an assessment as to whether they met an underpinning competence they were developing, they were at the competence level, they were at an enhanced competence level or technician, um, and they could just tick a box and recognise the number. But it got to a point where it actually went into a London Underground and the uh, <clears throat> at the time, um, head of electrical term, and he said, you're going to make us all look incompetent if we agree to that. And I was like, but hang on, that's the industry standards. And that's another difficult conversation the industry won't have. The mm. reason why there is so much bad work out there is not one voluntary regulatory body or CPS will have an open and public and frank conversation about the really, really crappy state of workmanship, skills and underpinning competence of electricians that are practicing out there. You know, well, our, our Instagram is a... Well, they won't because... Of coding. They won't because they're wearing their badges. Yes, you know yeah so and that's I mean, a time-based um pressure thing adrian yeah. that's just something we've got to work on over time something else i've noticed and i hope i'm right in quoting this as well is that there are a lot of training providers out there um that offer city and guilds qualifications but when you actually search city and guilds for those qualification numbers they don't exist those are I, credited programs most often yeah, so they've been created by that training provider. Yeah, the uh, I'll give you a little bit of a history with this from me. Uh, obviously, I do some very close training with my father and his college, Ascot College. We have a very, very um, lot of it. We have a lot of experience with one of the subjects of the BS7909, which is like I've just been doing this week, which is the, um, do you know what BS7909 is, Adrian? Yes, yeah, a temporary installation. Yeah, the, the temporary events. Right, great. So... We did a lot. Of, we did a lot of work with that from our old um, work history with Ascot Race Course and a bit of training and beyond. And about oh, it must be ten years or so now. We had interest from one of the main event companies for a qualification to be developed, and we went to City and Guilds about the idea of them creating the qualification. We could assist with writing it, and they basically got to that point where we went, "There's not enough demand for it, so we're not going to do the work." But we've done some work with you. We've already, in, you know, you're already in a training company under our strict systems of quality control and external quality assurance. So if you pay us a certain amount of money, you can then use our badge under a specific criteria. Uh, and so, yeah, £8,000 handed over. Uh, a, in, a, a site visit from somebody who wasn't of technical bias, but just assessed the delivery set. And then an email sent for the, the actual material to somebody who was of level technical knowledge. Um, and we could put that qualification on as an accredited program. But here are the strict things. The qualification number must not be similar to a City and Guild number. Yeah. So if we wanted to call it, for example, the uh, 7909-1, 7909-2, they said no, because they have the 2382. And two, yeah, they have the number systems. So we yeah. were told no. We were told no. So we had to call it the A course, the B course, the C course. And the certificate mustn't look like a City and Guild certificate. So those were the strict things. We could use the badge, City and Guild accredited, but we had certain other things that we must not do. Uh, okay, fine. But then after a couple of years, other companies started to do similar. And, you know, more and more companies are doing this now, loads of them. And then some companies, some very big ones, created the domestic pr practical training experience the five-day training experience, and they have a number that is very similar to a City and Guild number, but it's an accredited training program. And now, I have spoken to City and Guilds about this before, and they apparently have changed their, their thought process on how they do it 
since we were brought in. So in other words, they're just you know they're just basically raking it in, um, and the you know and, and the numbers have been adjusted. Uh, and they've been very lenient. And now all these accredited training programs, are, I'm not going to say being given out like sweets, but they are being very, very free. And we were actually told when we first set up, we were told that we'd have exclusivity to that subject, which is why I was incredibly frustrated when a CPS had announced that they were the first to do this, <laughs> completely ignoring the fact or not knowing the fact that we had done this. Um, so I had the CEO on the phone to me about it, and I basically just hung mm -hmm. up on him. Um because I was just pissed off. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so... Um, well, the frustrating yeah. thing is with all this is that I'm looking at one now, I won't name any names, but yeah. there's, there's, there's wait, basically days one to five, you do their accredited course, which mm -hmm. is an electrical installation work within a domestic dwelling. Yeah. Days six to 10, you do the City and Guilds 2393, which is just a Part P building regulations course. Yeah, I think 20, it's uh, 20 questions. 20 questions. Yes. 20 questions multiple, multiple level choice. three, level three, 20 questions, yeah. multiple choice. And 60% pass rate. Yeah. Then days so my 11, mum could pass that. Yeah. Yep. Well, days 11 to 15. Just, just so you know, I've delivered that course. I've been finished by 11 o'clock. <laughs> Fuck off. Seriously. <laughs> so days, uh, days 11 to 15 is the City and Guilds 2392, which is mm -hmm. an inspection testing course. Um, and then days 16 to 18 is the 2382 wiring regulations. Uh, latest amendments and that's so it that's a package of short course city and guilds yeah and what's missing is the domestic now when i worked for a company like this they had something called basic electrics three days of basic two days of introduction to inspection and testing that's a scary thought okay uh, and we had slides with pictures of saddles and cleats and cables um and that's part of a package. And then one of the biggest culprits, obviously, is an awarding body uh, that have a Part P DEI full scope course. That's the logic one, which you see with a lot of these organizations. But this other company wanted to keep it sitting in guilds for as much as they could. So they created this other number that you're seeing, but you can't find it when you search for it. No. It's an accredited program that's not searchable on the public register, and it's not supposed to have that kind of number system, but it does. And when I spoke to sitting guilds about it once, they went, uh -huh. Obviously, so, mon money has spoken in that sense. What I must say is I have consulted with City and Guilds as a qualification developer. And when I've done that, an, an employee from this exact company has joined in and also consults. So they are very closely affiliated with the Guilds. But as an employer, I wouldn't recognize an, uh, um, some sort of accredited course. Unless it's City and Guilds or EAL, I, I'm I'm going to turn around and somebody gives me something and says, oh, here's my diploma in electrotechnical. I'm going to go, is it a City and Guild? Is it an MVQ? Is yeah, it EAL you're, award? You're an employer, Paul. These people aren't looking for employers. These are people looking to register with the CPSs. Mm. Well, it actually, says, it actually um, says in the blurb that most people that take this course go on to be self-employed. Yeah. Well, God help any who actually go employed after being self-employed because then they're going to find a brick, they're going to hit a brick wall if they ever go employed. Something Again, else I came across well, the other day as well yeah. is um, a logic uh, certification. It actually had only a five-year shelf life. Yes, yes. That's, copied, that's, that's copied over because logic's origin is plumbing and heating. 
Logic is originally from plumbing and hitting the um, place. And when Part P came in, which brought in this issue of potentially plumbers needing some electrical training, earthing and bonding for gas, they mm -hmm. started dipping their toe in. The guy from there is called Phil Williams. He was the technical dude who did all of the arrangement there. They started dipping their toe into the electrical subjects. And then they took in the defined scope, but then they just dived head first into full scope. And they created this. Now, they as a company were very strict in that the PowerPoint presentation was was read only format and they gave me the power but not me they gave the company i worked for the powerpoint they created the training material they created the assessment material and they did provide cpd because a lot of people needed it for trainers but the the standard of the training material i have shown some of the guys in the five it's originally theirs and it is piss poor yeah, that's an awarding body. But what you need to know is the awarding body is also a training company. Yeah, they have obviously you have logic, and then you have logic for training. So they are heavily invested in, in like. So there's no conflict of interest. Yeah? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. Blimey, lads. So um, we're at that mark again where I think we need to wind this down, but I think we should take this into another podcast. So, um, lads, I'm going to ask you to come back and do another one because I think we, we've more to talk about training in the industry and the role of an electrician. So um, um, let's leave this for now and let's take this into another podcast. So um, I think I'm going to thank you both for being on this one. Uh, thank you very much. Cool. Thank it's been fun. Cheers, Adrian. Cheers, Paul. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, everybody, and take care of yourself and each other. Mm, bye.